Olá and good evening. Welcome to Catholic View on this Tuesday. Thank you so much for joining me. I'm Sheila Pirsch. Coming up in today's broadcast, we'll be taking a look at the Dominican Order as they celebrate 100 years in South Africa. But first as usual, here is a quick look at just some of the stories that made headlines in Africa and in the Catholic Church today. So do stay tuned. Hi, I'm Archbishop Peter Wells, Apostolic Nuncio. Thank you for listening to Radio Veritas, the good news for a change. In your headlines this Tuesday evening, over 100 protesters call for Kabila to step down in the DRC. Tribute paid to Ugandan peacekeepers. And Pope Francis prays for artists during the month of August. Good evening once again, I'm Sheila Pirish. We begin with African news. Police in the Democratic Republic of the Congo have arrested more than 100 protesters in cities across the country who are calling for presidential elections to be held by the end of the year. The youth movement Struggle for Change, Lucha, organized the protests, time to mark the July 31st deadline set by the country's election commission for conclusion of a voter registration program which was not met. According to VOA News, witnesses said police used tear gas to disperse protesters and detained several journalists in Goma and Kinshasa provinces. Father Jean-Marie Kuzikuta has more. In, in August here, uh, from the 6th to the 8th or to the 7th or the 8th of August, or 8th to the 9th of August, there will be nobody shall go to work, no, everybody has to stay at home and let the country be, become like a ghost country. That's one of the, 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 the manifestations that the opposition has made. And again, they are calling people in, starting from October to start now boycotting, not to pay the taxes, uh, electricity bills and the water bills so that the country, the, the government may come to understand that enough is enough. They don't want Kabila in power anymore. Meanwhile, the UN Joint Human Rights Office in Congo have condemned Monday's arrests, saying that arbitrary arrests are incompatible with the rights to information and right of freedom of assembly, guaranteed in Congo's constitution. As Kenyans prepare to elect the president and members of the National Assembly on August 8, the nation's bishops have invited the faithful to join them in a novena for peaceful elections. Chairman of the Episcopal Conference, Bishop Philip Agnolo, said they appealed to the youth to restrain themselves from violence and instead be the agents of peace. Mr. Anthony Mbandi is in charge of Caritas Justice and Peace in Kenya, and he spoke to me about youth and politics. Uh, with youth, is about guidance uh, and working with them, because you see... Um, one of the difficult things that we have had in especially the African context, when you speak about youth, people think about having a conference or a meeting for youth, but you don't work with them. So you don't learn when they're changing and when the nations are changing. So for the Catholic Church in the Kenyan context, we have a very clear perspective of working with youth. So you start with them at the lower age and you have the particular missions, children, and then they move into the YCS, the young Christian uh, students, 
and then we move them then to what they're calling the young uh, Christian workers. So at the level of the young Christian workers is where you have a lot of uh, the issues around radicalization, around people losing uh, confidence in life, and all these perspectives. So the country just is working with the youth at one level to ensure that from the school level to the uh, university level, then to the working society, it is becoming a, a worker in the society, they are trying to engage with them and discovering their issues because we have to uh, appreciate the fact that youth are very dynamic. Today, the issues that they're dealing with youth tomorrow may be totally different. So the church is also trying to learn how to adapt to the particular concept of uh, what is affecting the youth. The Catholic Church has been very uh, consistent on the perspective that the youth have to be engaged economically. Because if you don't engage the youth economically, then what is going to happen, uh, we all know, and I don't mind, is it a workshop. So we have to find ways of getting their creativity and innovation engaged. People have to learn that in two, three years, this may not transform automatically. But if we are looking at a long-term aspect of 20 years, then we are going to the result that deserve our youth to be engaged uh, According to Uganda's military, 12 Ugandan soldiers were killed and seven others injured in an ambush by Al-Shabaab Islamic militants in southern Somalia on Sunday. The troops are deployed to Somalia as peacekeepers under the banner of the African Union. Isabel Nakiria reports from Kampala, Uganda. Uganda's army says it fought back hard, inflicting much more serious injuries on its enemies. But while Al-Shabaab claims to have killed 39 Ugandan soldiers, the army now confirms just 12 are dead. The troops were on regular patrol at their base in Gorowen, southwest of the capital Mogadishu, when the Al-Shabaab insurgents attacked. The attack came hours after a car bomb in Somalia's capital killed five people, most of them civilians. Uganda's army spokesperson Richard Karemire says the struggle to restore peace in Somalia will go on. Well, we'll continue the fight, we'll continue strategizing alongside our partners in the African mission of Somalia. We'll also continue to ask our our partners and uh, to ensure that we have uh, all the requisite uh, equipment, multiplier elements to ensure that uh, our troops are well uh, supported. The seven injured Ugandan soldiers have been evacuated to a hospital in Mogadishu. The army is also contacting next of kings of the dead soldiers before releasing their identities. Uganda has lost several of its soldiers in Somalia since it deployed in 2007. Richard Karemire, Uganda's army spokesperson, says their aim is to build an able Somali army before their eventual return. We need to thoroughly inherate the Al-Shabaab and also support our Somalia brothers and sisters to build capacity so that when we leave tomorrow, we have uh, we have left their forces that can continue to provide the requisite peace and stability for the country. So training and building capacity for the Somali national forces remains uh, our exit uh, strategy. 
Investigations are underway to find circumstances that led to the fatal attack. The government is also working with the AU to have compensations to the families of the dead soldiers. Meanwhile, the UN Special Representative in Somalia has paid tribute to Ugandan soldiers from the African Union mission in Somalia. Michael Keaton expressed deepest condolences to the families and colleagues of the soldiers who were killed by the Al-Shabaab militants in the Lower Shabelle region of Somalia. Here is UN spokesperson Stefan Dujahik. Mr. Keating paid tribute to Amazon troops who have made the ultimate sacrifice in pursuit of a more peaceful and prosperous future for Somalia, reaffirming the UN solidarity with the people and government of Uganda as they mourn the loss of their compatriots. On to other news, a spokesperson for the family of Charlie Gard, the 11-month-old infant who died on Friday after his ventilator was switched off, has announced that Charlie was baptized before he died. The baby made headlines around the world over a fierce legal battle on parental rights. The spokesperson said Charlie would be buried with some of his toys, but gave no details of the date or place of his funeral. According to a British newspaper, his parents spent the weekend with family and registered his death yesterday. And finally, Pope Francis' prayer intention for August is for artists, that artists of our time, through their ingenuity, may help everyone discover the beauty of creation. The Pope's Worldwide Prayer Network, formerly known as the Apostleship of Prayer and Apostolate of the Society of Jesus Entrusted with the Monthly Intentions, publishes a reflection based on the prayer intention and will soon release a video in which Pope Francis discusses the intention for August. And that was a brief look at some of the stories that made headlines in Africa and in the Catholic Church today. Thank you so much for joining me this Tuesday evening. It is Catholic View coming to you on Radio Veritas, 576 AM. Coming up next is our feature program, and today we look at the Dominican's 100th anniversary in South Africa. marks the centenary of the Dominican friars first coming to South Africa. As you've heard on Radio Veritas, last year the Dominicans celebrated the 800th jubilee of their foundation. Now to find out more about the history of Dominican friars in South Africa and Southern Africa, I spoke to Brother Philippe Denis, who is a leading professor in church history at the University of KwaZulu-Natal. He also is an author as he wrote the very first book about Dominican history in South Africa and Southern Africa. Now let's hear from Brother Philippe Denis. Laudare, we praise our Lord with our saints. Benedicere, we lift our voice in song. Predicare. We proclaim your word to the world. Laudare, benedicere, predicare. Well, look, the Dominican order uh, came to Africa uh, about that time for the first time in the Congo, which is called the Belgian Congo at the time. 
And we were the second country or region in Africa where Dominican men, as you said, came. Although it, it, it needs to be qualified, uh, there had been from the 16th to the 19th century um, Portuguese Dominicans in Southeast Africa, which is today Mozambique and Zimbabwe. And uh, they, they, at one point they were up to 20 small communities, small missions, around the coast, along the Zambezi River and the Munudapa Empire. We should also say that the very first uh, South African bishop, or rather bishop to South Africa, Bishop Griffith, I mean resident bishop, because there was another one who was not resident before. The first bishop in this country, the one who really established the Catholic Church in this country, was also a Dominican from Ireland, and he came with three other Dominicans. But it was not like what we celebrate today, a conscious decision to establish the order in this part of the world. So I think the date that we celebrate, 1917, is very important. Uh, we should, of course, understand that it's, when it started, it was very small. There was actually one man, Lorenz Chapcott. But what is amazing is that the decision to send brothers or friars, if you like, to South Africa was taken during the war, when the mother province, which was the British province, was struggling to keep its commitment because many of the brothers were on the front. They were uh, war chaplains. So it's quite a great sacrifice and a, a sign of trust in Providence to, to, to start something at that time. And as you may know, uh, one of our brothers, Joe Faulkner, has just published a book on the first 10 years of the order in South Africa. And this little book shows very well how difficult it was at the beginning. The, the, first of all, Shapkut was alone. When others came, there were difficult characters with lots of infighting. Um, so it was a struggle. It's amazing, actually, that we are still here when you look at the difficulties at the beginning. But gradually, uh, the, the order became stronger here. And I would say from the 1925, 1930, we start having really strong, strong men and with a, a real dedication and humanly and intellectually balanced. And uh, gradually, we started to really do a good job in this country. Maybe I should say at this point that uh, if it's true that the first Dominicans is, is I would say, Southern Africa, uh, not South Africa, but South Africa, were men, and they came in the 16th century. The, the first community was in 1577. Uh, in this country, apart from Bishop Griffiths and a few brothers who accompanied him, the first Dominican were sisters, were women the, from Ireland, the, what's called today the Cabra sister, and not much later from Germany. So to have a full picture of Dominican presence in South Africa, we need to really uh, give a great importance to the sisters. It's actually a sister who called, uh, who contacted uh, the British, the English provincial, Father B. Jarrett, and asked him to, to send brothers. You've also written a book about the Dominican life in Southern Africa, how the Dominicans came to Southern Africa. Talk to us a little bit about that book. Yeah, it's true. I mean, 
Uh, I must say first that I was not born in this country, although now I have the South African nationality and I consider myself a South African, but I was born in another part of the, the world, in Europe. And when the, the provincial at the time, you know him very well because it's uh, Emil Blazer, your director, he knew I was an historian and I had uh, taught history before and done some research, and he said, could you put something together on the order? He had in mind, I think, something small, uh, maybe 50 pages, uh, brochure. But when I started exploring that topic, that what, what I'm telling you now, was in 1990, quite a few years ago, I discovered that the whole world, that there, there's, there's a lot to say. What I was just speaking about now, the, the Dominican and Portuguese Dominicans in Mozambique and Zimbabwe, for example, and this first Irish Dominican bishop, and so on, and all the issue of Dominicans and apartheid, all the issue is Dominican and education, all of that, this was so interesting that actually it took me seven years to put everything together, and it became a book which was published by Brill in Leiden in the Netherlands in 1998. So, yeah, that has been quite an adventure for me to, to discover the, the history of the order here, because that was not the type of research I was doing before. Uh, I had to redirect my research to produce this book. And then at the same time, uh, other Dominican entities in Africa became interested. We had an important meeting in Johannesburg, if I remember, in 96 or 97, and we decided to organize a workshop with representatives of all the African entities in Nairobi a year later. And out of that came another book, which is called Dominicans in Africa. And... There were at the time nine entities, now there are ten. Each entity wrote a chapter. So, you see, from initially because of the provincial's request, or because of Father Emil Blazer's request, came two books. One on this country, not really this country, on southern Africa, this region, and one on the whole continent. And I hope that you listeners will have the opportunity to find those books somewhere, and if they're interested, read them. I was just about to ask you, where can we find these books? Where can we read more about the history of the Dominican order in Southern Africa and in Africa as a whole? Well, I would say probably the, the first stop would be the Dominican communities themselves or the libraries of, I suppose, in Gauteng. I'm not sure, but I, I guess at St. John Vianney, they should have it. And um, anybody with in the university network uh, should be able to find it quite easily to the interlibrary loan. Because my university, University of KwaZulu-Natal, where I teach at the moment, of course it is there, so it, it is possible. If people want to order it, uh, the, the book on Dominicans in Southern Africa uh, needs to be ordered in any bookshop. The publisher is Brill, B-R-I-L-L, and the other one on Dominicans in Africa is Dominican Publications in Dublin, in Ireland. That's all I can say. All right. Now, it's quite interesting to listen to this story, brother. But now, talk to us about the Dominican order from the time that you started learning about it. Talk to us about the involvement, or rather, the development of the order in South Africa. Yeah, that's a good question. We need to understand that when... Um, the Catholicism, the Catholic faith, comes to a new region. It, it, it follows a certain development. Uh, 
and that's exactly what happened. In this country, uh, with a few exceptions, I speak of South Africa, and I don't speak of Zimbabwe or Zambia. In this country, in South Africa, uh, by and large, the Protest- Protestant Missionary Societies were the first. And uh, the London Missionary Society arrived in 1799. Catholics were a bit slow in uh, really developing a missionary project here despite the fact that this Dominican bishop I spoke about, uh, Patrick Griffiths, he wanted to do something, but it did not really succeed. So it's really when the Oblates came in 1850 and 51 that uh, something started, and then uh, the Mayan Hillers, the Trappist, who became the congregation of Mayan Hill in uh, 18, late 70s, early 80s, and then we came together with many others. Now, For that period, religious orders, in a way, lost their charism. They didn't do the same type of service to the church they were doing in Europe, for example, and since their foundation. And they basically did basic missionary work, which was to establish missions, which later were called parishes, and in the context what eventually became a diocese. So... Not only the Dominicans, the Benedictines, the Franciscans, almost all religious orders, in a way, were doing territorial pastoral work and were doing parish work. So that's what the English Dominicans did on the East Rand when they arrived in 1917 and onwards. That in 1932, in another part of what was the Union of South Africa, which is the Diocese of Kronstadt, in today, the, what is the free state today, they were called also to do parish work and to establish a diocese. And this has been going on for quite some time, with the exception of a house of studies in Stellenbosch, where I would say the sort of normal Dominican work, which is teaching, research, and specialized apostolate, could be done. So in a way, Stellenbosch was in the line of the Dominican tradition worldwide, while elsewhere it was, like a, if you like, like an exception. And it's only, I would say, the last 10, 15 years is a real effort with a provincial like Bernard Connor, or now with a, a new provincial, since about a year and a half, Father Stan Muyebe, that is an attempt to return to, return to the real and original Dominican calling, which is to preach the gospel at the frontiers in new, innovative, and um, untested forms of preaching to, I don't know, uh, intellectual work, to working with the poor, uh, to media, what we call the different uh, priorities in the Dominican order. So this really a history. And I, I, once again, I said that the other d- religious orders in, in this country follow the same evolution. Um, so it's not proper to the Dominican order to, to do parish work first and then to return to the original vocation. And now, Brother Philip, just to sum things up here, let's talk about this year, the celebrations coming up this weekend, marking 100 years. We have the Master of the Order coming. We have the Nuncio, who's also going to be at the same celebration. What does this celebration mean to you who decided to remain a brother, a Dominican brother? Uh, Well, you asked two questions, really. (laughs) And uh, 
the first celebration. I think it's important uh, for any uh, human group to celebrate things, to commemorate. Uh, it's almost a political act to commemorate, just to say, uh, there we are, this is what we want to do, to have a, a public presence, some form of visibility. It's very good to strengthen the identity of a group to commemorate. In fact, the Dominican order as such, as you probably know, last year has commemorated uh, 800 years, which is a very, very big thing. And there's been uh, functions and conferences and mm -hmm. celebrations all over the world during the whole year. That's right, yes. So it's the same spirit, you know, and it, it, a commemoration is bringing a renewal. Um, so I perceive, I'm very happy that we have been able to do something for the, the centenary. It, it's very helpful for the group to say, there we are, we're proud of what we've done. Maybe not of everything, we're just proud at least to survive all those years and to be there, and we hope for the future. So that's basically what it means. Now you ask me another question. You ask me, you seem to be intrigued by the fact that I'm a brother. Well, uh, I don't have much to say, except I have a calling to be a Dominican. The Dominican is those to preach at the frontiers. And I don't think all of us need to be priests. We need priests. The church, of course, needs priests. Otherwise, there would be no sacraments, and we need a leadership in the church. But I don't think all of us need to be priests. And the same way that uh, nobody is asking, at least not many people asking, why are not the sisters priests? Well, one, if sisters are not priests, why should not a man be a non-priest? It is pretty much, it's a, for me, it's a very much a non-issue. But I know yeah. some people are, traditionally, you expect everybody to be a priest. That's but, right. You, ex you think uh, that once uh, but, you study, you become a brother, and then eventually you become a priest. <laughs> it's just an expectation. You need to know, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm not that young. I, I joined the order in 1974. And quite a few of my generation in all provinces mm -hmm. um, did the same choice, and we are too in, in South Africa. Yeah. So it's not at all unique. All right, Brother Philip, thank you so much for your time. Any last words that you'd like to leave to our listeners with regards to the centenary, of course? No, I mean, uh, I, I just hope, if there's one thing, that we focus more on the figure of St. Dominic. There's a tendency uh, to see the Dominicans as just other priests. Um, and we, 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 we need to be inspired by St. Dominic, who actually uh, developed a new form of ministry in a time of crisis, where there were lots of questions, you know, the Abidjanches, the Teta, and the 13th century. And he, he wanted to respond to new problems with new methods, new pastoral methods. And he, he wanted to be contextual, if, if I may say. And I wish that the figure of St. Dominic will be remembered, not only uh, Lorraine Chapcott, the first Dominican friar in this country, but the one who inspired all the Dominicans with St. Dominic. That's my hope. Thank you. And I'd like to thank once again Brother Philippe Denis for sharing this beautiful history of the Dominican friars in South Africa as this year marks the centenary anniversary. And remember that a gala celebration will take place in Springs, Gauteng, on the 5th of August. That's this coming Saturday.